Hello, Henrietta. Welcome to the conversations. Welcome to the conversations indeed, and welcome back from Paris. Thank you so much. I am a little bit jet lagged, but other than that, I'm good. I had a really good time. So we literally recorded before you left, mm-hmm. and then you were off, and you have been ensconced in Parigi for this last week, and I am counting on you to report. It was a really great experience, I think, to cap off Fashion Month. Obviously, we've, you and I have been having a lot of dialogue about what's been going on over the past month, and there have just been a ton of announcements and movements and activism and all of that stuff to kind of break down. And I really felt like a lot of it came to a massive crescendo in Paris, where a lot of the themes that we've been talking about were either explored or just completely just crushed my brain. So yeah, it's a really good, I'm really excited to get into a lot of the things that we've been talking about, about Fashion Month. Well, and for this, we're definitely going to hit on all that of you that you've experienced Break on this trip. So please don't hold back. And okay. Our audience is counting on you to deliver the on the street word from that city. Spill the tea, so okay. To speak. Spill the tea, as they say. Okay. Well, let's start with the overall feeling of Fashion Month. How did you feel about it? Just just to kind of start us off. To be perfectly honest, I was more of a spectator this season than I had been uh, in recent seasons. I really sat on the sidelines. You were not interested in getting involved. You were just a bit like, I'm going to sit this one out. No, I wasn't interested at at all um, in that respect. Interested from a distance. I I, I have to know what's going on. You didn't feel the need to participate. I didn't feel the need to participate because, Henrietta, quite honestly... I am I'm puzzled about what's going on. I'm trying to decode uh, a lot of this from a distance because I what I see pro- projected to me, I know it's all, there's a lot of artifice mm-hmm. there. So I'm trying to find um trying to find what's real mm-hmm. and what's part of this grand theater. It's funny cuz so many people have that fashion month out this season for that exact reason or they're pregnant which is is really beautiful but really interesting in terms of the participation because I feel like it was a very concentrated crowd in Paris of a certain type of person I think the participation lacked a sense of diversity and I don't mean like a racial or gender diversity I just mean in terms of like even just looking at the style on the street from the industry, it was quite, it was all quite singular, which was really interesting because it's almost like you see who's left. And that was a really telling snapshot as to, I think, what's happening in the culture and the business of fashion. Precisely. I went to Paris last season, um, having not gone the prior two seasons, because I really wanted to download some intelligence, like really walk those streets, run into those people that I know from around the world, really get that on the ground intelligence. And the most startling thing to me was the shocking lack of of intelligence. <laughs> I was just like, oh my word. One of That's the places brilliant. that I go, one of the places that I go for for really good information has always been Premier Class, that, that trade show in Paris at the end of, of Fashion Week. So informative, so directional. I could go in those three tents, walk them, speak to my vendors, look at what's on, on offer, and literally be able to tell what's going to happen in fashion for the next two to four seasons. When I was there last season, I was just so shocked with the immediacy of Mm -hmm. things. Everything that I saw that they were selling for future season or for the future season, 
all of it was currently available in some um, in some iteration yeah. or, or another, and I was I was sorely disappointed, and that just like that just just made me even more concerned. It was a season of two stories, I think, because on one hand, and it was actually very indicative of how I'm feeling about fashion currently, because on one hand. It was really surprising and really quite inspiring in terms of some of the collections I saw, the people that I met. But then on the other hand, completely melted my brain because of the vapid, just one note direction of it all. So let's start on the positive. Right. I was about to say, let's definitely start on the 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 positive. Because I did see, I did see, and while I wasn't at these shows, I, I looked at them online, and I have to say, at least a couple shows really stood out to me mm-hmm. and were um, were surprising and strong, and I felt they spoke about the state of women right now. Well, since we're in, since we're in Paris, let's 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 focus okay. on there. Um, I thought that the Valentino show was really really strong in Paris. I also really? thought that the McQueen show McQueen was, was really 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 strong and yeah. I thought both of them offered a prescription to women that were it was all about empowerment, was all about wearing clothes in a in an ownership kind of way. It was really about they were very they were real clothes. They were like, you know, they were real and proper clothes in it and yeah. it really demanded that the women inhabited those those pieces. Absolutely. Valentino I didn't love so much, but I'm I'm really not that Valentino girl, so I think that that opinion is of no consequence. I loved McQueen, and I think there was definitely wearability to it. I did sense, particularly when I saw Binks wear a sort of sculpted blazer, I was a little bit like, are you trying to get that Celine money? It was really interesting. There was something that felt quite Celine-esque in that collection, I think, with Phoebe leaving quite a space for other designers to come in. Obviously, Hedy's going to go in and just make it in his own vision, which is something that is very far removed with what Phoebe has created. I have a real sense that a lot of the designers are really thinking about that space that needs to be filled and and who that customer is going to shop with. So you really saw it with designers like Le Not that Le was trying to pivot in any way, shape or form. They were doing what they typically usually do. But I think that as an underrated designer duo, I think they're really going to get a lot of spotlight. Their collection was gorgeous. Really, really beautiful. Loved all the layering, loved the colour palette. It was just a really realistic, wearable collection for intelligently styled women. I thought that was really beautiful. But I did see that moving towards a Celine customer. Um, and I, I saw that with McQueen. I saw, so the, I saw the Celine influence there. I also saw the J.W. Anderson influence in, in collections um, yes. as well. And I don't, I don't know, you know, to be honest, you said that do they want some, some of the Celine money. Those clothing never sold from the Celine to begin with. So I don't know that they're going to be selling the clothes in terms of an image that may be different. But I, I did think that the clothing that were proposed this season were were very much about clothes. In, in in some respect, I also saw that at Louis Vuitton, um, where Nicolas Gasquet, his collection was was all about a, a lady. Well, there was also a rock and roll sort of grouping at the end, but the for the bulk of the collection, there was just sort of like rounded shoulder and quite sculptural, and it required a certain lady likeness mm-hmm. um, for you to be possessing possessing of that in order to really carry that off. So I really felt that there was a proposition for women wearing a, 
at Chanel as well with all oh those sort goodness. of like with all those sort of suits and the, the jackets were very important and that was a part of the empowerment that I'm speaking about I saw these jackets that were very covered some of them were exaggerated in length but they really was all about that woman and especially in these times I felt that that woman in those pieces was very commanding I definitely agree with you. I think Vuitton and Chanel were two shows that I was actually quite underwhelmed by, to be honest. But that is interesting, that female tone that you pick up, because I, I just seen the Anna Winter roundup of Paris, and she really spoke to that, which was really interesting. She picked up on a lot of the response to the political climate and Me Too and designers really designing for women, women warriors and the idea of a lot more female designers and not just the token few. And, you know, she actually also touched on the diversity issue, but unfortunately she really kept it quite surface and, and really kept it limited to the catwalk, which I thought was interesting that she was really picking up on, you know, tokenism in the female sphere and diversity on the catwalk where we hadn't seen prior. I mean, Comme de Garçon, casting a black model or four black models for the first time in 25 years. Unheard of, never mind Prada. I was just like, <laughs> did Muccia Prada just discover that black people existed on this planet? All of a sudden I see them. You mean on anyone her who's not Naomi Campbell? Uh, well, yes, but she, I mean, she's forgotten about Naomi Campbell for the last 20 years, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I must say, since we're on this diversity conversation, it was fantastic to see all of these black and brown representation on the runway. This has continued apace uh, for the last few seasons. And this season, I thought it was really, really strong. I thought that they searched and that they found, and they found really talented, um, really, uh, at least interesting looking girls. I think it was less searching and finding. I think it was just opening up their eyes and their minds. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I, I'll absolutely give you that. But there are these stunning yeah. and really, really interesting looking girls. You wonder, you're like, I can't believe these girls that you know, girls like this have been around for, you know, for forever. Where have they been on these on the runway? Yeah, it's funny because I I really feel like we've been and by we I mean the people of colour within the industry have been looking and talking about this for so long. It does feel very celebratory now that it's finally happened. But to be honest, for me the conversation has moved on so much beyond that that I feel like the shocking lack of diverse talent from a executive and creative position, like everything we were talking about of Keyboy, it's so shockingly absent. I'm really surprised that that hasn't been picked up. Well, it's more. funny, actually. One of the most noted designers currently, the only, <laughs> <laughs> the only one really of color, let's say, that's really visible right now is Off-White, mm -hmm. Virgil, Virgil Abloh. He's killing it. He's that saying that that turn of phrase doing the most I think was actually invented for him because okay. he's doing he's the most he's doing the most I know that there are a lot of collaborations did you feel that energy on the on the ground in Paris that was the only energy in Paris oh really it was it was really I really felt like it was a really big moment for him he is really diversifying his collaborations. It was everything from a, a fragrance and a bag through to a shoe. He, you went to the, the one of the hottest vegan spots in Paris, and there is a off-white collaboration. Okay, so he, wait, are you are you actually saying that he's doing too much, not necessarily the most? I is it does it feel genuine? I, does it feel authentic? 
For me, it does, because it, he has such a specific DNA, and I, I think he's someone who works really hard, and he's someone who is genuinely really interested in this idea of what happens when two things come together to become something else, and he kind of strikes me as a bit of a manic personality who's always wondering what's next. What was really interesting though was the behind the scenes conversations about people thinking that he was doing too much or uh, being overexposed or oh. that there was an element of it being disingenuous because traditionally designers and brands don't do that many collaborations. They cap it to one or two a season. That's correct. He was doing so, I mean, you see it on Instagram, you saw it in the event schedule. There was just, it just felt like there was a different thing every day. And so I can tell that people were... I don't know if it was genuine fatigue or if people were just hating, but I didn't really get the positive reactions that I personally was feeling. Well, it's funny that we're talking about the collaborations because, remember, just a very few seasons ago, we were talking about Demna at Vetmo and all of his collaborations. (laughs) I haven't had any of those conversations in any recent times. Is this like a quick to flame out? business uh, proposition right now and and Virgil is sort of the the wonderkin and he will also flame out that's a really good question I think it's different it feels very different with Virgil and Off-White because Virgil himself as a as a personality is so present in all of these collaborations so it feels like it's it's a it feels like it's an extension of his being of his creativity of his personality and persona in a way that it wasn't with Vetmont because you didn't really know, there was no context around anything. They were just putting stuff out and you would see it randomly on Instagram. You know, it's like you'd see something that he was doing Tommy Hilfiger, but Tommy Hilfiger never spoke about it. And you'd see this with Haynes, but then there's nothing on Haynes. And it just felt very disjointed in a way that with Virgil, it's like he shows up and is present for everything that he touches. So it didn't, it doesn't really feel disjointed. And just the way that he looks at culture, the way he looks at fashion, the way he looks at curation, the way he describes everything as being a bit of a mood board in a way and a, one thing informs another. For me, it makes sense for him. And uh, Virgil is not the only designer that was topical this season in Paris, Henrietta. As uh, as we know, there has been two very high-profile designer changes at major houses, that being at Burberry and at Celine. Hedy Sulemain was appointed at Celine and Ricardo Tichy at Burberry. Now, let's break down those appointments. You go, because I can't. Here's the thing with, with Hedy Slimain. His track record is proven. He is a commercial maestro. He has, having been at Dior, at Saint Laurent, and, and, and now his appointment at Celine, I think he has just shown that he knows how to sell clothes and a lot of it, clothing and accessories. He knows just how to craft the right aesthetic for the zeitgeist. And I think that, you know, he will do so with Celine as to whether it'll look <laughs> like the current <laughs> Celine. Whether it'll look good. <laughs> no one cares. Um, it, well, no, people do care. People do care that whether it looks good. And I have to say, the one thing about Saint Laurent, it was incredibly expensive. For But for my private clients, whenever I found that thing, that dress or that skirt or that, that, that pant that fit just so... It doesn't matter what the price was because there was no better fit 
in that category for that item. And um, I have to say, he does know a particular language that's consistent and winning. For the record, in terms of aesthetics, yeah, there's certain things I appreciate about Hedy Slimane, mm-hmm. but I, I find his rigidity to be off-putting. However, <laughs> his his track record is... I like the restraint in that, by the way. It's a very <laughs> nice way of, of putting it. Well, I, I find his, his track record is so... Is so successful that he ultimately can do what he wants, and there's very few. In fact, he may be one of a kind he right is now. Very, in this he business. is very unique, and I think that's what makes it such a polarizing conversation. Because ultimately, yeah, Saint Laurent was a commercial success. I actually loved what he did for Dior. I think that was all the stars were aligned for that. I think time-wise, his aesthetic, what was going on with the house at the time. Selena approaching a $1 billion company, and I think they want to really go tenfold on that and expand into different categories. They're doing couture, they're doing menswear, they're doing fragrance. Fragrance in and of itself could be a massive business if he does it right. But I just feel like one of the things that they're forgetting in their race to be a commercial juggernaut is that what Phoebe did was create clothing for a very specific aesthetic and woman that was so powerful and really influenced a lot of fashion. She really was a leader. Obviously, the aesthetics are so different. I don't think that he is in line with anything that that Phoebe has created and that just the sensibilities of Celine that made it such a success. I just don't see how it's going to... I don't see how we're going to reconcile that sort of L.A., sort of rich kid, all black, you know, slightly moody vibe against this idea of the modern woman, the design sensibilities, just the ethos of what Celine has become known for. But like, I get it. LVMH are really trying to make it a mega brand. I I think that what she's done is just incredible. And I think it's just such a shame to sort of see it die. One thing I will say is that uh, Hedy Slimane has been offered such latitude. Oh my God, the power of that role is immense. To do exactly what he has wanted in his career over the last uh, 15 years. Besides Karl Lagerfeld, arguably he is the designer who has really just charted his course, burn a bridge when he's over it, move on to the next thing in whatever far-flung address and have them court him and have them bring the business to him. He has really, really, really carved out an inviolable position for himself as a designer. As to whether he holds on to the codes of houses and so on and so forth, I think it shows that he doesn't, in fact. I think he shows that he upends them and redefines them in his own language. And um, no doubt, I think that's going to... That's exactly what's going to happen at Celine. I think the only thing that could work, because I was actually thinking about this, is, you know, it was, what, about 18 months, two years, that he was sort of out of a job, quote-unquote, so to speak. Right. And so part of me thinks he could have just started his own brand. He could have started his own design house, his own line. And so actually the idea of going to Celine could signify that he really liked and appreciated and respected what Phoebe was doing and potentially wants to expand uh, on his work and his aesthetic because it is quite singular what he does. So maybe he's actually wanting to challenge himself by staying true to what Phoebe has created. Okay, that's I'm, a lot of projection, I have to say. No, just, I'll allow you that, but that's is, a lot of projection. This is, me being somewhat, this is me being somewhat optimistic because ultimately 
I was thinking why if he for, for Saint Laurent my whole thing was why didn't he just create his own brand he would have the backing he has the name he obviously is a commercial whiz kid he could have done what he did for Saint Laurent for himself rather than burn the whole thing down and creating his own image and I think there were a lot of key learnings from Saint Laurent because while it was a commercial success critically it wasn't that well received for the most part so I think that there could be something that has made him reevaluate how he might approach Celine in a different way from Saint Laurent. That's me being incredibly optimistic because the whole thing just doesn't make sense. But that is one thing that could be a viable situation. Let's move on to Ricardo at Burberry. What's your impression of that? I'm less mad at it than Hedy's appointment at Celine. I think that Ricardo is an, is an incredible designer. I think technically he's great. I loved what he did for Givenchy. Everything that he's doing with Nike is great. I think that there are things that make sense. Obviously, he he's really connected to the current Burberry CEO. He picked him as an unknown to be at the helm of Givenchy, and that was a, a risk that paid off really well. He's really he understands street culture and street wear in a way that I think would be really great for Burberry. I think street wear is a, a massive cornerstone of British style. Um, I think the argument that he's not British or hasn't lived in England is a bit of a weak one because I think if we look at what brands like Mulberry have done with Johnny Coker coming in with his interpretation of what Britishness is, I actually think it provides quite an interesting lens because the whole idea of Britishness I think could get a bit played out and become a bit kind of gimmicky. So I think that he can add an interesting lens. Yeah, I mean, I was really hoping for a Phoebe Kim Jones mashup. That to me would have just been like an absolute shutdown. But yeah, I mean, once my heart got over that, I I don't mind the Ricardo thing. I can't really see. The one thing I can't reconcile is his persona. Like he's so... Italian? No, he's so enamoured by celebrity in a way that feels very American and not very British. Like, he's in with, you know, everyone from the Rihannas, the Kardashians, and it just feels very non-Burberry in that sense. So it's less of a design aesthetic business thing and more of it's a... It's more of his, his culture. His Yeah, his own personal... You know, but I get it. Like, these appointments are really about money. So my kind of romanticism exactly. about Precisely. the codes of the house and the, the clothing. <laughs> no one gives an F. Like, well, it really is just about bottom line they all want that gucci money they all want to be the new balenciaga they all want to become a mega brand i totally totally agree with you that's why i'm not waxing lyrical about the aesthetic and the house and the codes and all of this kind of stuff because at the end of the day i find uh, um I, I agree with you that this is these appointments are about money that these these houses are looking to multiply their revenues exponentially um however it it does beg the question you know i think i gave this example in another podcast where one of the most significant fashion investor told me that it is it's nearly impossible to start a billion dollar fashion company in this age. And so my feeling is that with these kind of appointments, are they looking, yes, these brands are very well established for decades and or centuries in, in, in cases. Are they looking to double their revenue, triple their revenue, really take it to the billion and billions dollar mark? Is that still the strategy? Is that still the greed that's being employed? I think so, because I think if you look at what Gucci and Balenciaga have done, a lot of brands, I think, are really trying to tap into that. And I think Celine have the opportunity to break out of that sort of European-centric customer and tap into a more international customer. And exactly the same for Burberry in terms of being more international and less about the British consumer. So 
I think so. It's I, funny for a brand that's been around for more than 100 years, <laughs> you know, to think that we're going to pivot whatever number, I think it's 150 years that they celebrate um, recently. Something like Something that. Like yeah. that right? I, I, again, I am sort of suspect of these, of some of these moves, especially when these companies are already bringing in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Never and we're enough. still working, we're still working that matrix around yeah. multiplying the, the revenues and so on and so forth. But just a quick question, which I'd be interested to get your take on because you are so sartorially well-versed, shall I say. Do the aesthetics and the codes of the house and the clothing, like, do they not matter anymore? They kind of don't. They really, really don't. Because let's be honest on Henrietta. When people are wearing clothes, especially in this day and age, there's no referential process about it. They're, they're not thinking about, for the most part, yes, the more erudite consumer will be considerate of, the, of those kind of things. But your average consumer, they don't give a shit. They really don't. They don't care about the provenance. They don't care that these garments, the present day garments are respecting of the codes of the house. All of that is highly, highly irrelevant to the consumer. Mm -hmm. And therefore, having this kind of discussion about whether or not these designers will carry on the codes of the house, I don't know if those kind of things apply anymore. I think with these kind of, especially those kind of high profile appointments, I think part of their hire is that they have a certain leeway to apply their aesthetic uh, mm-hmm. to that house. I think the, the powers that be are aware of that and in many ways that's what they're bringing in. But I think it's a shame. I think from a Burberry standpoint it could do with some shaking up. I actually loved Christopher Bailey's last collection. I thought it was incredible but I think he was given free reign because it was just like a <laughs> last hurrah. <laughs> but with Celine, I, all sales and commercial components aside, I genuinely do think that it could be a shame if he ends up just completely erasing the philosophy that she created for the house that made it so successful. Well, we will definitely see how that plays out. (laughs) Another issue, Henrietta, that was quite topical during your visit to Paris, I know that you had sent me a couple uh, texts and emails surrounding (laughs) surrounding the influencer culture. Now, what was burning your blood <laughs> while you were in Paris surrounding this influencer culture? It was just a really, it was a really interesting theme that I had I had come across. Break it down for us. I was around a lot of influencers. I went to a lot of influencer attended events and shows and was privy to a lot of conversations that were going on behind the scenes. And you know that I'm from the digital world, a large part of my former job was working with influencers and managing those relationships with brands. And I just basically kept coming away with the question of where is it all going? It's evolving in a way that I think none of us had really anticipated. And I'm, I'm really talking about specific group of influencers, obviously. Uh, Define them. I would say less of the girl that is on a really base level, just having a really transactional relationship with a brand and creating content around her endorsement of the brand, but more those girls that are leading the brands. The, the girls that are invited to the top shelf shows and will, you know, are well seated and are gifted and are paid. And kind of have carte blanche to just basically say and do anything. anything. They're, they're gotcha. almost their own brand. Okay. So when they align with a brand, it feels very different than a traditional blogger or influencer. Okay. Why do they piss you off? <laughs> it's... <laughs> I just felt like it was just really vapid. 
And so that being my world, it just felt like I just really wondered where it was all going because they are their own brands and just the conversations that were going on. It just felt very one note. And then when you are talking about really topical issues such as diversity within the industry and feminism, it just all felt very surface. It was very soundbitey. Everything felt like an Instagram caption. But there really wasn't much percolating beyond the surface. And so what's really interesting is when these girls are creating content and really being quote-unquote opinion leaders on certain t- topics within fashion, I just wonder how we're going to really move forward when some of the most influential girls in the game fundamentally don't even understand what the issues or what complex themes or issues are. Do you not think that there are sort of way too many demands on these so-called influencers, I think that that name, that term Mm -hmm. is really misleading Mm -hmm. in the sense that people are looking to these young, and a lot of them are very young girls, young women who happen to have a cute look and keep up with the with the trends. There's nothing particularly directional about them, but they are there to the minute and they're on trend. But these are young girls who happen to have stepped into an industry that they could not have foreseen, foreshadowed. Here they are, they're being well received, they're popular. And they're being paid for turning up to a show, for endorsing a product, and things of that kind. I'm wondering, how is this different than, say, when models, like, say, the supermodel era, for example, when the Linda, um, Cindy's, and uh, Naomi's, and all those kind of girls were coming up? Remember the whiny Linda Evangelista with that very famous quote, I will not get out of bed for for, for less than $10,000 a day? In fact, her profile then was like, she was like saying, really silly, dumb things like that. I mean, these girls, I I can't fault these girls for going out there, getting a check in their 20s. I don't need for them to tell me about like nuclear disarmament or whatever else. That's not the kind of influence I'm looking from from these girls. And I don't know why they are the recipient of so much hate along the way. As I said, they are just the the current endorsers, you know, celebrities have been, models have been prior to them, and they have never been excoriated to the extent that these so-called influencers are now, and I don't understand it. Yeah, I think the hate that you speak of, what this is not is when you, you read editorials from editors talking about their rightful place or wrongful place on the front rows, and I'm not talking about that because I, I think that is marred with some level of scarcity, there's a lack of the piece of the pie. That's not what this is. It really is just an observation of where's this going? I mean, speaking to the brands, there is a lack of conversion. And to your point about models, I don't think it's the same thing because they're participating in fashion in a much more engaged way. They're not just a faceless nameless ambassador of clothes or they're creating content around the culture of fashion they're speaking on issues such as diversity and inclusion and feminism in ways that are at times ignorant uninformed and just not true and you know they're building their own media platforms so I think there is a sense of responsibility because they carry the messages <laughs> well there it is that is there's a bit of a catch-22 here we have created this forum for these influencers to occupy and we require that they say something they stand for something I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the the, the culture of the day and we and we are we're, we're actually we're like oh you don't stand for anything like oh well then you you're, 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 you're not worthy. So we're asking them to stand for something and then we're saying, well, what you stand for and how you articulate yourself are not up to standard. So, eh. That is very true. I think there is this 
this sense of if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. So they are trying to really jump on these themes in order to ingratiate themselves and be a bit more relevant. That being said, you also have to be informed. Like if you're going to speak on something, you have, I mean, literally there was one influencer who will rename nameless, who was talking about the diversity issue whilst calling girls coloured. (laughs) on a really basic level it's like if you understand the diversity issue or just any sense of social decorum you know that it's that in and of itself is a racist term you know so it just all felt very inauthentic and it just I don't know it felt quite damaging in a way that you have an issue with let's say a Cardi B for the messages that she puts out to young impressionable people who are not these music aficionados they just really love her catchy songs it's kind of the same thing with fashion when we're at a point where we're in a really challenging spot and we really need to think about how we evolve forward it just doesn't really sit well with me that a lot of these opinion leaders and people who carry real weighty influence are sort of speaking in a really vapid tone about themes that are really important and that will essentially help to push this industry forward. You know, and and also just the inauthenticity of it where there is a lack of personal style, which I thought was the whole point before anything else. In the traditional sense of girls wearing clothes in the way that you and I wear clothes, because that's just what our aesthetic is, it was really predicated on what's going to get photographed for street style, what the brands are sending, what is what performs well on social media. It was really predicated on a bunch of things that meant that they all then in turn looked well, the same. Well, that's the whole thing, looking from the outside in, having not participated this season, looking from the outside in. And I, I've, I've, I've felt this for a very long time now, that, that peacocking and that parading and all of those sort of things, while I'm trying not to judge... I decided long ago that it wasn't, it was no longer the stage for me for that reason. And right now, I don't understand. When I look in, I see a lot of people wearing very expensive clothes that doesn't resonate with an audience that I, that I see out here. And with, with point of views, with stylistically speaking, point of view that doesn't seem authentic. So when I see that, I'm just like, I I don't, it doesn't. That's what I was really responding to. It's this lack of authenticity. Also, I mean, it was just small things like loads of girls were, you know, public facing, talking about the the need for kindness and to be kind to each other when they were actual assholes to everyone they didn't have to be nice to. Or they're talking about environmental impacts and issues and how we need to not use plastic. But wearing those like Chanel plastic boots and hats and bags or speaking on... On the, uh, the, on the fashion's environmental impact and doing everything for H&M. And like, it just all felt very contradictory in a way that, yeah, get your coins, but then also be informed about what you speak on. You can't talk about one thing and then absolutely contradict yourself with the other. It just all felt very weird. And I know I'm being super old school because I'm, <laughs> I'm coming from the world of the editor where they really said what they meant and there was a level of intellect and conviction. But I do feel like some of these girls are the new editors in a very different way. So there's a level of responsibility to just be a bit smarter with it. I don't know. It was just such a visceral reaction that I had being in a very unusual situation for a week of just being really surrounded by a lot of these girls. I think that I think these girls just have been afforded a great deal of responsibility that they didn't ask for. And they're just really trying to navigate their way through. It really wasn't an accident. A, a, a A lot of this is an accident for a lot of those girls. A lot of those girls could not have imagined that they're communicating to 1.5 million people, 4 million, 6 million people. All of this is 
all of this is like a, 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 a major head fuck, to be perfectly honest. But however, they're on a stage that can be quite lucrative, and all they kind of have to do is to make an appearance, take a photo, do a selfie, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, people are looking to you as an arbiter of style or whatever. You say what you have to, collect your checks, and keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and not to, not to. I understand the credibility that you're that you're looking for, but I think maybe a fundamental difference in this what we're talking about is that. I don't look to those I don't look to those places for influence and nor nor should most people. But that's the thing, neither do I, but you'd be surprised at how many people do. And that's the, that's the influence I'm talking about. But it's also, you know, being juxtaposed against spending a lot of time with the Vanessa Hongs and the Tammy McPhersons of the influence world who are incredibly smart, incredibly well-informed and have integrity in the work that they do and being really discerning about the brands they associate with. So for me, it doesn't even seem like it's an impossible task to just be a bit smarter and a bit more informed in the messages and the content that you put out and also just knowing the industry that you're in a bit better and your references and just things like that. But I do get what you mean. I think that I'm definitely coming at it from a very different vantage point that makes me feel a bit more ugh, about it all. And I don't want to launch into another conversation. We could possibly pick this up at another time, but we also have to really look really in the eye those people who have been anointed the influencers. Why have they been anointed the influencers? Why are the more um, why are not the more substantive uh, representation? Why are they not corralled into the main the main stage? You know because why are they not on there? Perform well on Instagram. Okay, so in many ways, you're answering your own question. You're answering. You're saying that the vapid, the vacuousness—that is what translates. There's not much interpretation. There's not much uh, synthesizing to do. There's you just sort of like you look, you like, you move on. And I, I think that formula for now has some impact, as you say. Conversion may be an issue, but yeah, they don't have to convert everyone that 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 sees what they do. They convert convert percentage of people and, uh, and hold their position. Yeah, I think I say that to say that it was a very interesting experience during fashion week because people like yourself people who just were like do you know what i'm gonna sit this circus out so it just felt a little bit different but also it just felt a little bit like is this where we are like is this is this what we're doing now when there are some real rife issues that really need tackling it kind of made me feel a little bit nervous but to your point there are also other people doing really great work so it just was a high influencer concentration for me mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that made me but I, I'm so glad that we, we're speaking about this because I think a lot of people are looking at that at that field, at that area, and thinking, wondering if it will continue, if it's relevant, if it'll be around in two, three years, if these so-called influential girls are going to have the impact they currently do. So I think it's something that is definitely under uh, yeah. discussion. It's definitely reached a point of saturation, but it's also something that seems very aspirational because now you actually have the girls that work in brands and, and just girls coming out of college who aspire to have that role and so it is interesting to see where it's going and who's going to be able to hold on to influence and just as we become smarter and need to really find meaningful solutions to a lot of the issues in fashion I'd be interested to see where this influencer bubble goes because I think there's definitely a need for more informed long form more meaningful content in a way that a lot of these girls aren't creating or are speaking so surfacely to that we need to scratch a bit deeper and I think that that's going to separate the good from the bad those can actually get a bit deeper. 
Anything else that was appalling to you on the ground? <laughs> it, wasn't all, it wasn't all bad. God, I sound like such a bitch. But no, the one thing that was really great about Paris was that I think that the actual fashion was the most inspiring component, which you know, was awesome. Before we carry on, you know, one thing I want to mention, and I kind of missed it, but I was talking to a friend and he just highlighted it to me. And I, I wanted to make sure that I got it in on this podcast. There was no sense of respect. Responsibility, that's environmentally speaking, in terms of what was sent down the runway. Did you see just the tons of looks? No one was thinking about materials. No one was thinking about the environmental impact of the things that they were sending down. People were just sending, designers were just sending down looks upon looks upon looks. And all I kept thinking, I was just like, this does not look responsible. Why are we not having more conversations about sustainability? Why is plastic not, not at the frontal lobe of everyone? Why are we not talking about fashion's impact on the environment and all of this stuff coming down the runway? Where's all of this stuff going to end up? I absolutely agree because I think it's no secret that the fashion industry is the world's number two largest pollutant. Okay. And actually, funnily enough, one of my favourite shows of the season was Section 8. And they had an incredibly well-edited, quite small collection. And that really, in a weird, sort of environmentally adjacent way, spoke to that. Because I, I loved that Akeem Smith didn't put anything on the runway that he felt didn't need to be on there. And that, to me, was where I felt like the future... You know, like Vivian Westwood says, buy less, buy well... I think that should be the future of fashion where even if it's just, you know, or like the, the way a liar worked, even if it's just eight looks, I really do believe that it's just take what you need and disregard the rest. And I think that really should be the energy that fashion is moving towards. And I, I think we should punctuate on that note because I 100% agree with you. We absolutely have to consume less. And I think that message needs to go beyond, let's Vivian Westwood, who is a French designer, let's say. I think that message really needs to come into the, the mainframe of fashion. And it needs to go beyond marketing because we all say, save the environment, less is more. And then you look at the catwalks, you look at the content being created, you look at these influencers, and the message actually is more is more is more. More is more is more. Consume whatever you want and just discard it when it's done, wherever it ends up. That's not okay. Yeah. And that's not sustainable. But I definitely think that should be revisited. I would love to tackle this idea of sustainability, like true sustainability in fashion, but sustainability that is sustainable. Precisely. Trend. Julie Gilhart, we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, it was a great fashion month-ish. Well, I'm glad you went. I am glad that I sat out this season. And I loved hearing what you experienced on the ground. Thanks. Lovely chatting. See you next time. Ciao. Bye. Uh, it's my time for something